Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Let's get the show out there. Share this with your friends. Maybe find out whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook, the Longhorn Republic on Instagram as well. You can also shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who has never missed anyone less than he misses Kim Mulkey, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. You know, I'm going to say that Kim Mulkey was very good at winning basketball games at Baylor. And I will be happy that she's no longer a two to four times a year opponent. Um, so, see ya. <laughs> That's it. I'm not going to delve on this air and on on on, uh, on podcast. Put pen to paper. Allow myself to be uh, to be recorded with my with my true thoughts on Kim Mulkey. Um, I will leave it as. Uh, yeah. I hope I hope she. Uh, I hope Baylor is not as good as it was when she was there. And I hope she doesn't ever reach the peak that she did uh, while she was at Baylor. And, and from here on the rest of her career is on a downslope. And I'll just leave it at that. I have been very public about my feelings on Kim Mulkey. <laughs> Incredible coach, trash human being. Like, let's that's just, more, yeah. let's, let's just, I'm just going to say it. And I'm totally fine with it. Like good for you. Uh, that That's just, I, I am okay with saying that. And it's, you know, anybody that says like, if your daughters don't want to go to Baylor because of the sexual assault thing, you should hit them. Like that's a terrible person. And I'm sorry. I was just going to say, be careful, Gerald. If there's any women's basketball, well, if there's two women's basketball coach who have hitters, who have actual goons who who, who track down people and, and, and take them out, of course, Gino Ariama, because come on. Um, <laughs> what, he has expendable income. He's got to do something with it. And and legitimately, Kim Mulkey, I think, is from Louisiana, and, and just she seems petty enough that, that like she would have someone break your kneecap. So uh, I will clarify, Gerald said the bad things out loud. I didn't say them out loud. Thought him, didn't say him. Hit me up. I'm here. <laughs> Bring it. We're not here to talk about my disdain for Kim Mulkey. We are here to talk about, well, a lot of stuff happened over the weekend. We had the spring games. So we'll break down uh, who won orange or white. That's the biggest news of the weekend. The baseball team got a series win but saw their winning streak break. We also had a volleyball national championship matchup. Basketball picked up a big recruiting win. The Big 12 championship. A sweep on the diamond, rowing continues to cruise, and tennis got some stuff done. So there's a lot to talk about. We'll obviously close the show out with some down the 40, some Godzilla Tron, all of your favorite little segments at the end. But we got to start with the spring game. So, um, Kyle, I've already forgot which team won, which color won. I think it was the white team. It was Texas. For a large, yeah, Texas got its first win of the 2021 football season. Thank you, Aggies, for that one. But uh, Cameron Dicker, for a big chunk of the game, was the leading scorer. So mm. that tells you how it went. No, uh, the, we we got the spring game has come and gone. Uh, how it worked, come to find out, was that the orange team was the first offense, the white team was the first defense, and then the orange team had the, the second defense, and the white team had the second offense. And so we didn't really get much resolution on any of the questions that we had. And so uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Kyle, the first, I guess the first thing I want to talk about is just when you think out, think about the spring game, the orange and white game, like what's the storyline or what's the thing that jumps out to you the most? The thing that jumps out to the most is a giant caveat that I put every year on this game and will continue to put. It is a Texas tradition as old as Smokey the Cannon or, you know, firing Smokey, uh, banging the drum, uh, you know, whichever Tyler tradition pick it. Yes, it, exactly. Um, Bevo being our mascot. It is it is a tradition equally as old since since 1906 that we have overreacted dramatically to a, a, a glorified exhibition game with fans in the stands and a, and a, and a running clock and guys in pinstripes. Like, um, it, it's a practice. It, it is it is a simulation of a game, and so you, you can see people maybe step up some percentage, um, but it's also a practice for some people that is um, 
again, after 11 other practices or 12 other practices that preceded it, um, for some folks, they're, they're, they're only, uh, of those for some, <laughs> a new position, you know, they have, they have a dozen practices for some, uh, a new school, you know, they, they have a, a dozen in some, you know, the college level, they have a dozen. So, um, this team, there will be a lot of evolution. This is a point in time, a line in the sand. It will not, there is no world. Just think about the players who didn't play due to being hurt or, um, Think about like a like a five star commit who didn't early enroll in Jatavian Sanders. There's going to be additional weapons, uh, additional pieces, uh, and and there will just be some change. The ones as we saw them today, I don't believe are are locked in. I think you had to eventually say, okay, here it is. We have to say something. Um, so that's what I wanted to start it with was a giant enormous uh, caveat. Um, but now that we've placed that out there, I will talk about what actually happened because it's fun, man. It is it is fun to 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 see football, whether it's meaningful football or not. I, again, leave that up to the, the, the your own view of things. But uh, no, I I think we we saw some things that we knew we would see, right? I think um, Bijan Robinson looks like one of the most dynamic players in the country. Like I think he's going to hit the ground running in, in whatever offense, whoever's calling the plays, he was going to be good. But I think uh, I think he's going to be real good for Sarkeesian. And I think the offensive line actually on both one and two looked better run blocking than pass protection um they they probably have some room to go but i think it lends itself probably to the fact that we have two running backs who can eat and who can be really really effective because i think Bijan just has a dead leg that's as sinister as any move that any player in the country can employ showed incredible balance and, and multiple runs showed the ability just to make the first second and third guy miss and get yards after contact um and, and just showed a speed and a quickness and and just showed all the things you want to see but Roshan Johnson also looked very very good for a while was the the best offensive kind of uh consistency on the other team so I think you are going to see we talk a lot about the receivers we talk a lot about it we're going to spend hours talking about the quarterback battle but I think the running backs uh you have two who who are Big Twelve caliber, and and we knew that coming in, but it's good to see that again. Yeah, I think the the thing that jumps out to me the most is is I think the the line that I'm trying to draw between what we saw from the second team offensive line, right? Because there's two ways to read that, and we'll talk more about this in in, in a couple of moments. But like, was the I think it's the first team defensive line being really good, and mm. I think that's what we saw on Saturday. And and the thing that jumps out to me is that. Anytime you see new installs in in spring, the defense always has an advantage in the spring game. Always. Ten times out of ten. Because it's a lot easier to install a defense than it is an offense. It's a lot easier. You can and really when it's a defense, it's like here's where you need to stand. Now go play football, right? You can mm-hmm. you you can install the twists and stunts later. You can install the blitz the blitzes later. You can install all of your, your funny business you do on the back end later. But but if you get the guys in position the defense has a natural advantage because defense really is just being a spot and being an athlete. And when, when push comes to shove, that's why I like uh, Coach K's defense is because it's really built around like being a spot, being an athlete, don't let the ball get behind you. Like those are the, those are the three principles, pillars that we're going to see a lot from from Coach Krakowski's defense. And so that's I think that's why the first team defense looks so good is because again. Anytime and and Sark's the offense is complicated. Like he said it, the quarterback the guys have said there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to learn on the offensive line. So there's there's that's the thing that jumps out to me the most is that I think when mm. when you put these guys in position on the defensive side to be big time players, it's what they do. They make big time plays. You saw a guy like Brendan Schooler, like the the other safety got beat. Brendan Schooler came across the field, knocked a ball loose, and saved a touchdown. Like yeah. he he's just an athlete and. I'm still p- baffled as to why, like Oregon moved him from safety to wide receiver. I guess they just needed guys, and he could play both ways. He's, I think he's just. A, I think we're going to be surprised by Dylan Schooler's athleticism in the fall. He's a guy that we saw walk down from safety to nickel and package depending. And so I'm really, really curious to see on the on the Bijan Robinson run that went viral. Guess who's the guy that made a misplay and was fast enough to make a, a play 15 yards down the field across the field. Dylan Schooler. So, like, he is, even when he's out of position, he can still, he's athletic enough to make up for it. And so, that's, like, I'm glad, and I'm I'm so excited that we're finally seeing athletes just getting, a, being able to be athletes on the defensive side of the ball. And so, Kyle, I think that, that moves us to our, our first question. Like, what or who? Outside, guys not named B. John Robinson. Who or what impressed you the most uh, from the spring game? Hmm. Single person, um is tough because I don't want to go back to the running back well and say the intensity that 
you know, our, our RB three, uh, Gabe Watson ran and just put his head down. That, that feels like a cop out. If I go back to the well, I will say, I'll say this. I will say the, um, the decision-making and the pop on his, on his plus place, I would say Hudson cards, the touchdown pass may have been the single best play of the game. Um, and I'm going to take one on each side and I hope I'm not stealing yours. I thought, Deshaun Jameson is a guy we think is a game breaker. We think, whether it's special teams, we've been wanting him to get pick sixes. I think he guaranteed one or two this year. Good for him. I like him going out on a limb. I think I'm going to take one on each side of the ball. I think Hudson Card's ability to run the RPO, make the quick read, and, and get it out quickly, even with you know not always having the most time. And again, especially the the throw for the touchdown of Marcus Washington, where he threw a guy open was just really special. Um, and then I think, you know, Jamison making a play, it's basically, you know, end of the half. It was a walk-off touchdown to change the whole dynamic of the game. Having playmakers on defense, like think about the fact that you brought in a, do, a new defensive coordinator who loves takeaways, who loves, you know, let's, let's, let's win games with defense. That would be awesome. And let's let you know, uh, Jameson and other players get points on defense and just get takeaways. Um, and so I would say those were the two, the two plays and players, I think with their whole game that, that impressed me the most. The, I think the thing that, that I already mentioned Dylan Schooler being, being surprisingly sneakily fast. Uh, I'm not going to say sneakily fast. Dylan Schooler is just fast. He's an athlete. Um, <laughs> I think the thing that really, uh, the guy that stood out to me and I've said it on Twitter a couple of times is Juan Davis. Juan mm. Davis came in and looked like a grown man. Like we knew he was a grown man because he's like 6'4, 220, coming out of high school, early enrollee. But you never, like, I don't expect the early enrollee guys to be guys to flash in the spring game. I just don't. Because yeah. they're they're supposed to be at their prom, right? They're supposed to be put on a suit <laughs> going to prom. So I never expect that. But seeing a guy like Juan Davis haul in a couple of catches and do something with the ball after he catches it, that was impressive to me. You know, I, I honestly didn't know who I was looking at until like the first time I was like that looks like LJ Humphrey but I know it's not LJ Humphrey so I got to figure out who this kid is and he's a guy who is you know say what you want about uh, the the outgoing staff uh, and a specific tight end coach perhaps tight end special teams coordinator perhaps but uh, that was that was a find by that man and he was he was his chief recruiter and so I am pleasantly surprised that Juan Davis came in and is looking like he could be a contributor, especially in a, in a room in a tight end room. That's probably the most packed of any group that we have uh, on campus. Like he's jump He, he jumped ahead of Malcolm Epps, who is in the transfer portal. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, like, he jumped ahead of Malcolm Epps. He seemingly has jumped ahead of Braden Leibrock, who Braden Leibrock's out with an injury, but doesn't hurt your chances if a guy comes in and can play, right? Uh, it looks like maybe Juan Davis and Brewer are, are tight end one and two. I'm still I'm still Wiley Hive. I like where your head's at. I like him being a, a competitor. I, would, I, I didn't see enough from Wiley in the spring game. I'm curious. I'm still holding out hope there because I, I, I like his ceiling still. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I, I look. I, I think the next thing we were going to talk about is what we're worried about. And I think, I, I think you could take outside of what Juan Davis did and him looking good. And, and Hey, Kai money, when he got called as, as the guy for the white team, kind of, kind of soaking up the slots, he, he caught the balls thrown to him and Hey, Washington caught the touchdown. But other than that, I mean, it felt like there was a lot of meat left on the bone. There was an Epps drop on a third down conversion. There was a Josh Moore touchdown drop that again, maybe changes the way that game is played with it, with an extra touchdown uh, pass gives Thompson a little more, a little bit more uh, confidence um, where the interception may have, may have robbed that a bit. Um, but uh, you know, it, it's, those drops ended up being being pretty big. Even even like I praised him earlier, but Gabe Watson dropped uh, a lot of you know balls on on checkdowns. Um, I think he had two at least in, in two and a half. I won't give him a full third one. Um, I, I, so I would say pass catchers. If I just watched the game and didn't have the knowledge that I have, might be something I walked away worried about with the players that we saw. I mean, even even uh, Washington had a drop to go with a touchdown. Um, but remember the fact that you know there are. We have Smith coming back. We have, uh, we're going to talk about in a moment, a new receiver coming in. Um, you know, we, we have a trimming and, and we're going to get the tight end room kind of to the right point where the right players are, are, are in the game. Um, we are, you know, we're going to see some different looks than exactly what we what we had and had available uh, in this one. And so um, I, I am worried, though, because I talked about the running backs to open it. Sarkeesian wants 
speed at the at the skill positions. He wants playmakers, um, and it looked like in that game, Whittington uh, was was maybe the 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 one guarantee that we had on the first offense uh, as a playmaker. And so um, in the passing game, I mean, uh, so I'm I'm uh, you know if I have to take a nominal worry, it, it would be that that we don't we don't know definitively the questions that we came in wondering who was going to step up. But I do think Juan Davis is a good shout. Yeah, the wide receivers are problematic. I do think the wide receivers uh, have some instant contributors. With We'll talk about uh, Xavier Worthy coming on. Jake Smith being injured is a big change. Uh, potentially a kid from A&M uh, who just hit the portal is, is on the table as well. So, like, I, I th- I'm not as concerned about the wide receiver room because I just there are guys that aren't there that will be there in the fall. I think that, and, and this is another group that has a little bit of that, but the offensive line concerned me from mm. a, from a depth perspective, right? I'm not super concerned with the first five guys, right? Especially because we know Kerstetter will be at that right tackle position. And so that changes the entire calculus of that unit. Cause like Derek Kerstetter has an opportunity to be an NFL right tackle. He's just that good. Uh, and so like that allows, you know, a guy like Jake majors to, to step in and play center. It allows a guy like character come in and, and play left tackle. And so, I, you've got and you've already got Junior Angelau who will likely play. He's played both left and right. Either side is going to be uh, better for. It. I think the side that Angelau ends up playing is a, is the side that Sarkeesian prefers to run on. Is what it's going to end up being. But like that is, I'm not super concerned about the first five guys. But the way that the first unit defense abused, especially in the first half, that second unit offensive line doesn't make me feel really good about having a rotation on the offensive line because you want to have seven or eight guys that you can rotate in, right? And I don't I think Texas might have six at this point, maybe seven, I'm not sure, but like there's not a ton of depth there. If if you get if you catch a guy who gets rolled up on in a pile, I don't I don't know what that looks at what that looks like, what that shakes out to be. And especially with the level of complexity that uh, Kyle Flood and Steve Sarkeesian expect from an offensive lineman. There's a lot of communication. There's a lot of talking. There's a lot of calls and, and uh, assignments being called on at the line. And so not just the, the aspect of like the talent level, but when an offensive lineman and when an offensive line unit loses a guy, you've got to adjust. And so sometimes you lead on talent until you can really get back to the, the swing of things. And so that's concerning to me. And so that leads us to the last question. And then we'll, we'll can take I, a, oh, go ahead. can I, can I pause you? Because I don't want to miss this. I mean, I know this was, was what are you most worried about, but I also kind of read it about what didn't, what, what did you not like? And there's one that I don't want to leave the, what didn't you like section without telling you, Gerald, um, I think it was at the end of the first quarter, maybe, or at halftime, they interviewed Coach Sarkeesian, and he said, Kyle Flood coached one team, and he said, uh, Coach Choate coached the other. But did you hear the nickname that he used, Gerald? I did not. He called him Choder. And I do, I, that worries me. I don't me. like that. I'm, I'm gonna be saying, yeah. I don't like that. That worries me. I don't want, I don't want Choder to be the nickname for who, who seemingly is a fantastic human being, man, and coach. That he deserves better. So that had to get that in. <laughs> All right. So other than coach nicknames, Kyle, what is your biggest question heading into fall camp? Other than quarterbacks and coach nicknames, what is your biggest question heading into fall camp? So my my biggest question is is. Uh, it's going to be a two-parter. One, can can we continue? Is this going to be the identity of the team that they will get points not just from the offense? Will the defense be able to create turnovers, put the offense in good position, be able to actually generate points? And will that equate to the special teams? We saw a lot of starters playing on the special teams. And so I think um, I, I'm curious, are we going to keep seeing that? Is that going to be – they've said that they're, they're going to play the best players there. They have like eight different guys who are legendary uh, at some point in their career special teams coaches. So this should be a really, really good special team unit. So you think about, you know, in a close game, think about Jamison last year. You know, one kick return can change the tenor uh, of a game. So I, I wonder if those points can come from other places. And then this is just kind of the question that, 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 that I'm wondering because we won't have an answer and there literally is no way to know it. But um, – Every time that the same team is going against themselves, you have to ask, like you alluded to, is the offensive line bad or is the defensive line good? Are the receivers struggling or are the you know the corners are there just some really elite playmakers in the secondary who who are rattling them? You know, are the are the quarterbacks were they struggling with some issues or do we have two or really especially one in, in Casey Thompson whose game a spring game doesn't really highlight the legs part of a quarterback because you kind of intentionally say, don't do that. You know, that's cheap. We're not going to hit you. So don't make that a part of it. Right. So that question of the push and pull of 
how good is each unit when they're going against each other, right? Is it a zero sum game? So um, that question can't be answered, um, and and I and I don't know that we'll have an answer to the 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 where all the points come from until week one or maybe maybe week six, you know. But uh, those are the things I'll be thinking about, and 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 really, in addition to the position battles and the in the identity kind of formulation, that's that's what I'll be curious. Yeah, I think I think that's that's a fair. I think for me, who's the wide receiver that's going to step up? You know, mm-hmm. I think we know that Whittington's probably going to be one of the first four guys. I think it's pretty safe to say. But is Jake Smith going to be able to get over this injury thing that's plagued him? You know, is is what does Troyo look like when he's at a hundred percent? Because he was mm-hmm. he was out there playing and he had he, the one thing I love about about, about Troy O'Meary is the is the routes that he runs. Like that mm-hmm. guy is a route doctor so i think seeing him in a unit again what is does Jaden alexis level up in the fall does xavier worthy come on campus and just step into a spot he's a guy who is probably talented enough to do that so what does the wide receiver room look like because and i'm just going to be honest without being reductive like the wide receivers at alabama made mac jones a first round pick mm-hmm. and so i'm a big believer that if your offensive line is good and your receivers are good you can get by with a decent quarterback and i think both of these guys are better than decent and especially with a guy like Bijan Robinson and a guy like Roshan Johnson in the backfield, if the receivers are good and the offensive line is good enough, I because they're practicing against one of the best offensive defensive lines, they're going to face all season. I, I I will I will stake my claim on that. Now is is there will be very few defensive lines better than what they're facing in practice day in and day out, and so that's a great proving ground for them. So for me, really, it's all about who's going to level up at wide receiver who's going to step up at wide receiver and what does that offensive line look like at full power those are the two questions that i really want to see in fall camp and can i just say we i thought you were going to take him in one of your answers and you didn't so i I would feel remiss if we left this off you talked about that defensive line being good we've talked about how do you replace joseph osai we thought that would be you know one of the biggest questions that how do we get our pass rush but it looked like there was a lot of guys Jacoby Jones was stepping up i really thought Moro Ojimo um looked like he he kind of yeah, that four-eye technique, you know, he kind of is like a he, – he had the best parts of, of Malcolm Roach with, with you know, some some additional penetration even, um, getting in the backfield as a pass rusher. I thought I thought that was, was great. Obviously, Coburn's going to be good there. But, um, you know, I, I the question we thought we would be asking is who's going to step up? And I'm ready to say, hey, why not two or three different guys, right? So uh, if it's any of those those we mentioned or even Vernon Broughton look good with the twos. I mean, there, there's a lot, like you said, of talent, um, but I didn't want to – I want to single out uh, Moro Ojomo because I thought he was he was truly one of the probably five best performers in the whole spring game. Yeah, I don't think you replace Joseph Osai with one guy, so I think you replace Joseph Osai by committee. But uh, but Moro is going to be a guy who I think you absolutely have a shot to, uh, to get a, a 60%-ish of that, so obviously uh, we'll we'll go through our our spring preview series where we go our summer preview series where we go through all of the uh, rock we go through all of the positions by position. We'll also have um, our schedule preview coming up in the next few weeks, so stay tuned for that. So the worst kept secret of this podcast is that there's a lot of uh, roster moves to talk about for the football team. So uh, in the first quarter of the or first quarter, I think it, they went by quarters, right? Of the orange and white game, Texas picked up a commitment that we knew was coming. Another worst kept secret, uh, 2021 four-star wide receiver, Xavier Worthy, who recently asked out of his national letter of intent from the Michigan Wolverines after some of early enrollment issues. He was spent to supposed to be a December enrollee, had some issues with the admissions office and kind of got frustrated. And he flirted with uh, Alabama and then Texas ahead of the National Signing Day. He flirted with Sark at both of those stops. So he asked out of his letter of intent on the 15th and then waited all the way until the 24th, so nine days later, to commit to Texas. And so uh, he instantly, I think, becomes the fastest player on the team but can really be a playmaker for Sark in an offense that values. uh, Sark is a guy who would have a fleet of Ferraris if he could. I like that. Uh, a fleet of Ferraris w- would be all right. You know, uh, we, it would be fun to watch at the very least in that offense. But uh, I think you mentioned just speed, right? Jaden Alexis being a 10-6 guy, you just instantly signed a guy who's even faster than that in high school, a guy who ran 10-5 as a sophomore in high school. You know, they thought he would he would knock time off this year. Just, just, just speed on speed on speed. Um, you know, I think – he was the number eight receiver, number sixty-one overall. He is an he's an elite 
talent that four star you know could easily look like a five star when he's he's going into the draft in a couple years um i think he is a a a playmaker a game breaker um and you know instantly kind of he's a just reiterating what gerald said a 2021 guy a guy who will be playing this season or be eligible to play i should say this season um we're not 2022 where there's some good receivers um but this is an instant addition to uh kind of that transition class that locked in right as sarkeesian was coming on board so um a huge kind of i would imagine final piece uh or, or one of the final pieces to that class so uh, i think it's great and i think um he epitomizes all gas no breaks absolutely there were two there were two kind of big glaring spots uh in the 2021 class there was the offensive line and the wide receivers who both come to find out were hampered by uh, the efforts of Tom Herman. And so uh, Xavier Worthy fills the gap of needing an elite receiver in that class, and Xavier Worthy is elite. And so the the prospect of having like him, Jake Smith, Jordan Whittington, and Jaden Alexis on the field at the same time in a four-wide set is just absolutely insane, and I'm so excited to – See it. So some more roster additions come on the defensive side of the ball. Texas hit the portal hard, trying to fill some gaps at linebacker. Picked up not one but two potential instant contributors that both have three years of eligibility left. Uh, so yeah. Devin Richardson from New Mexico State, and then former five-star uh, linebacker Ben Davis from Alabama, both hit the portal and decided to bring their talents to tech so richardson didn't play in 2020 because well new mexico didn't play in 2020 but in 2019 had a heck of a season 69 tackles two sacks three forced fumbles as a redshirt freshman in 2019 football writers association uh, of america freshman all american uh, and then davis had dealt with some injuries as well also uh again alabama just has a bunch of dudes and so it's hard to find playing time there uh, but he was a top 10 player in the country as a recruit number 185 all-time rankings according to 247 sports uh, Bo Davis was his recruiter at Alabama and so Texas is finally filling in some of the gaps that it has at that linebacker spot the state of Texas hasn't produced uh, a plethora of top tier linebackers over the last five years and so Texas needed to pick up some depth and they got it and Devin Richardson, the kid actually from Texas played at, at Klein outside of Houston and then you know but was a three-star wasn't a kid who got recruited a lot by Texas schools went to New Mexico State where again not an elite program but showed out with 69 nice tackles his freshman year and you know it's it's kind of opposites right one was a three-star in high school who show, showed it at the college level and the other is a five-star who everyone swears you know can walk on an NFL team when you see him. He just has the physical presence of an NFL linebacker and just hasn't really been able to put it all together with injury-free and the right, you know, it's tough to get in at Alabama all the time when, when there's five stars every, you put your arms out to do the uh, the arm circle warm-up drill and you're, you're, you're touching other five stars. So, um, you know, it, it, I think both of these guys can can instantly uh, play, but it is interesting. They're kind of the, the opposite ends of the spectrum, but let's say, uh, let's say, you know, 12, 13 sacks between the two of them, make it 20, who cares i'll be real happy so uh, i think uh two good additions when you think about the other already linebackers that uh coach k has has sought out as he kind of looks to to tweak and get his system in place and uh i think these are these are the right moves yeah it seems like the linebacker group went from a liability to a potential strength really really quickly with some additions uh you know tyler owens moving down from safety to linebacker also could potentially be a big move so like i i think that linebacker crew if if like again there's a reason why ben davis was a five-star player there's a reason why uh, devin richardson was a highly contested transfer candidate those are both dudes that can play football and even if it's just depth issues and ben davis and richardson come in and make a couple of plays that's fine because texas needs bodies at linebacker and so i'm excited to see that uh texas probably isn't done in the transfer portal and we'll keep you updated with that stuff as we go on but moving on to the Diamond, Texas took the weekend series against number 24, Oklahoma State. Uh, two games to one. They uh, won both of the doubleheaders, but unfortunately, the win streak is over. They lost on Sunday 7-3. to Kobe Kubicek uh, just got absolutely murdered in that first inning, and Oklahoma State didn't really look back from there. But on Saturday, uh, Mike Antico's bat was hot. Ty Madden did Ty Madden things. Uh in the first game, in the second game, uh, Doug Holdo put two balls over the fence. Uh, well, put one ball over the fence and uh, two guys across the plate. And then Tristan Stevens had a heck of an outing from himself as well. So, Kyle, as we look at the baseball team, they actually um, rose up two spots in a couple of rankings, went from five to three. I think they're like a unanimous three all around now. So, uh, good showing heading into probably 
one of their toughest weekends of the year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you look at uh, series wins, right? S- series sweeps are amazing, but there was another top five team that basically had a similar weekend uh, as us. You win the first two big and then somehow lose the third one. It's just, you know, winning, sweeping a series is hard against a quality opponent. It just straight up is. Um, so I will take series wins. Again, Texas has not lost a series this season. I will take series wins all year long. Just keep getting that. Uh, if they can go this next weekend with another series win, a sweep, again, would be majestic, um, but a series win would would really solidify. Uh, I, I think the the tough part of of Texas schedule. Now, now let's not say they swept. They did actually sweep a really good South Carolina team earlier in the year. They did uh, they did beat up on a a Baylor team that's I think RPI like thirty one right now. So not too far outside of the polls, and that's supposed to be the weak part of Texas season as they basically go Oklahoma State. Uh, Tech and TCU all coming up right now with kind of the top 10 teams left. So um, so it, it, it will be very interesting. Um, kind of the, the, the bats are working right now. The, the, the interesting part will be if, if there's any shakeup between midweek and, and, and Sunday starters, right? If, if uh, I don't want to write a guy off one game, but it does feel like uh, Colby Kubitschek is for sure the, 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 you know, somewhere between the third and, and fourth, uh, best starter. And, and does he get switched out from one of the, the weekday starters who've been looking good? You know, it, it's tough. I'll leave those decisions to Pierce, but you know, we obviously have a one and two, and, and I think it's another month of tweaking to figure out exactly what the right arms are. Um, and again, getting the bats, getting the bats going. Um, I really just to, to kind of put a, a sweeping arch on it during that streak. I mean, the way, obviously, we've talked a lot about Melendez hitting, but the way Zubia has kind of stepped up as well, um, he's been drawing significantly more walks, striking out less, and, and still cranking some power. Um, that's growth. That's the stuff that's going to get Zubia a spot on an MLB roster. Um, if he can be, you know, a, a good hitter like that, it's what we've expected from him. It's what we saw from right in the beginning, and then he kind of tailored in the middle of his career, or tapered, I should say, in the middle of his career a little bit his 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 numbers. Um, but I think he's, he's in a good spot. And so if we can have... You know, a, 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 a crushing middle pivot of, of Cam, uh, Melendez, and, and Zubia, who can all put the ball to the park. And then you have Antico, who's, who's, who's really getting it going finally. Um, and, and then, you know, Hodo and Daly, guys who, who if it's their day, it's their day. And you can't, you know, they're going to get doubles. They're going to get homers. They're just going to put the bat on the ball um, to young guys who are really coming along probably better than anyone expected. And then you know what Texas has in the starters. You know what they have uh, deep in the bullpen. So it's just a matter of... of stringing it together in multiple straight games, which they did 17 of those. Um, um, but uh, getting that, that streak started over and, and going again as you start to look to the postseason. Two is good enough to win. I, you like sweeps. Obviously, Texas had plenty of them in that 17-game stretch. And I'm curious what it would have looked like, what Sunday would have looked like if we hadn't been forced into a Saturday doubleheader, if mm. if playing two games in the same day. And doubleheaders aren't like out of the norm, right? But you, there's always a weird one. When you have a doubleheader, it's either a weird game two or a weird game three. It's I will stand by that, and I will, I will stand on the table for that, that assessment. So I really think that like game three was just a weird one. Texas's pitchers looked weird, I think, again. We know that Sunday is not indicative of what this team is and what this team can be. And so um, you got to lose eventually. Win streaks don't go forever. No, yeah, there there have been. I don't think there's ever been an undefeated baseball champion, at least in modern baseball. So that's okay. But like you mentioned, Mike Antico, who's been kind of on a tear for the last six weeks or so. Like, dude has really just stepped his game up, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, so Texas has a midweek matchup against Incarnate Word. So hopefully they can restart at least a win streak there before taking on uh, number eleven. Texas Tech on a weekend series. Texas Tech, uh, again, the Big 12, I knew the Big 12 to stop being just a ball of knives every week. Like, <laughs> in every sport, the Big 12 is basically a ball of knives, right? Except for rowing, maybe. Maybe the only sport that the Big 12 isn't just awful every week. But, like, Texas Tech, a top 11 team. I think they were, they've been in the top 10 before uh, this mm-hmm. year. So, like, it's just, again, another tough matchup. If Texas takes two or three, I'll be happy. And it, it, don't, don't blink now, but... Uh... They get about three days off, and then they uh, they take a number five TCU after that. So uh, this is the time you should be tuning in. This is good baseball. This is uh, the best playing the best. So now's the part of the show where we catch you up on everything else that happened on campus, and we down the 40. So we start with some sad news, Kyle. Midnight struck. The Texas Longhorns, uh, after sweeping the number one seeded team out of the tournament, uh, ran into the Kentucky 
Wildcats who, um, honestly, Texas rolled through that first set, and I was like, oh, this, I told my wife, I was like, this will be over in like 90 minutes, we're good to go, what do you want to, what do you want to do after this? Um, and then, uh, Kentucky's offense got in the swing of things, and, um, Texas looked outclassed in the second set, uh, it was a battle in the third, in the third, and unforced errors cost Texas there, and it was kind of all she wrote in that, four, in that last one, um, but Texas out of the uh, out of the bid gets a Big Ten championship, which I feel like is is an okay exchange. You obviously want the Natty, but somehow winning two conference championships in a year with separate conferences uh, is a consolation prize. It was a tough loss because it, it looked like after the Wisconsin match, and and remember since we last potted, they were they were you know we were worried about that one. They were the number one team in the country. They were the the big dog, and they just took them down. They went through four three and one big in the Big Ten to win you know their second conference title big 12 in the in the fall and big 10 in the spring um but unfortunately two conference titles don't necessarily add up to the natty hats off to kentucky i mean i think you we were texting about it tweeting about it gerald that there were there were some hits that you know uh that eggleston or 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 fields or you know were, were were putting in there that there's like three to six players in the country who could have dug those and unfortunately Three of them sat on the other side of the court uh, in Kentucky. Just did a great job. I mean, they really, 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 really did. Texas just couldn't get it going. Some of the sets they lost were just so heartbreaking and close. But that's that's the game. You know, it's it's uh, it comes down to one game, and it comes down to at most five sets, and and that's not a lot of points for a whole season to boil down to. After Texas effectively played two of them, right, playing more volleyball than anyone in the country. But here's a little bit of hope. Texas isn't losing anyone, not a single person, no one. Um, they're all coming back, and they will basically blood in, you know, uh, Melanie Parra, who didn't really get get fully uh, added in because, you know, due to COVID, she wasn't with the team in the, through, through a majority of the season and came in late uh, and wasn't fully in the rotation. They're going to see her in. There's some additional uh, recruits coming in. You might see some, some switch up there, but for the most part, I mean, they're only this good and getting better. And I loved Eggleston's tweet about this was a wonderful year and we thank y'all for supporting us. Period. Next sentence. We'll be back. And I love that. That's that that they're hungry. This hurt. And they want to get it back. And they should, and I think they will. There's a, there's a strong uh sentiment from this team. They've all said it. Like, we're gonna be back, we're gonna get it back. And I'm again, they are in a, a supremely talented team. There were a, again there are probably seven players in the nation that could dig some of these kills from, from Texas's hitters. And they just all happen to play for Kentucky. And it's, it's ridiculous that, that it was I like the number of times I was like, Oh, that's, a, that's a winner. And it just wasn't because of some ridiculous diving one handed dig by, by Kentucky's defense defenders. It, it was just, it is what it is. And when a team is playing that lights out, there's not a whole lot you can do about it, especially you know Texas made Texas had a couple of service errors, you know in that uh, in that third set they were on a rally and they were about to about to force it to a deuce uh, and then serve one in the net and so you can't there's no room for those types of mistakes when you're playing a team that's just as on fire as Kentucky so they'll be back next year uh, and I don't anticipate there being any sort of drop off moving forward so speaking of not dropping off in the slightest bit the basketball team continues to just stockpile talent uh, and picked up another one of the highly coveted players in the transfer portal Vander Vanderbilt forward uh, Dylan DeSue uh, who averaged 15 and 9 for the Commodores last year out of Pflugerville Texas um, decided to come home the video this is funny I, I, I go on YouTube to try to find pronunciation videos for these guys <laughs> and the video I found of Dylan DeSue pronouncing his own name there's a texas jersey hanging on the wall uh, behind him it's actually i think a blake gideon jersey which another connection but like chris beard is stocking the cupboard you know what he said it was gonna be a rebuild and he is absolutely uh both simultaneously proving and not proving his point yeah i mean uh, yes that it is fantastic that they are that beard is is proving you know to be as good a recruiter as we all thought of the the gerald Full credit goes for the the portal pirate moniker. He is uh, he is plundering uh, all over, and you know basically picked up. Th- think about it. You know Vanderbilt, Creighton, Utah, 
um, has gone all over to, to pick, uh, Kentucky has gone all over to pick up these guys and bring the best. I don't think they're done still um, and bring the best into Austin again. Now he's doing hopefully the job of recruiting whoever he's coming, uh, bringing back from last year's team. But once those pieces all kind of gel together and we have a full roster that's you know closer to double, double digits of humans on it, uh, you know we'll see. But I think um, I saw a couple different recruiting uh, services folks who who had spent the time to put out lists beginning of last week, Monday, Tuesday, last week, um, who did the exhaustive research and ranking and moving, you know, it's, it's tough to make a ranking list. Um, and then this news that he was going in the portal came out Wednesday and I saw multiple people say, well, there goes my list. Basically Dylan DeSue is a guy who would have been at the top or very near the top of any of these lists. And it's like, I'm not re-ranking just know he's really good, you know? So, uh, I don't have a number for him where he is in ESPN's portal rankings cause he came after it. But, uh, I would imagine he's like a top 10 most valuable uh, most coveted portal player. So um, a guy who can who can do it all, right? He can he can score inside and outside. He can rebound on both ends of the court. He's a decent shot blocker. Um, six nine gives them some size, but he really can stretch the floor. The fact that he can go out to the three, um, and I think he shot like around 36, 37% from out there um, is good because some of those other guys we mentioned are not necessarily stretching the court. So it kind of you start to see what the offense might look like with the pieces they have. You have, obviously, Andrew Jones and Febres, um, and I think Askew can be a plus shooter, and then you add him. You're starting to see where the shooters fall, um, giving that spacing to let the, the, the creators and penetrators, uh, who we also have um, in, in, in Timmy and, and in um, you know these other plays we've brought in. I think you're starting to see it. It's starting to it's, – it's still a little ways, but you're starting to see it, and it looks great. You know, it doesn't hurt that he and, he and Greg Brown were, were – um those those friendly rivals in high school. It doesn't mm-hmm. hurt. Uh, Greg Brown retweeted a tweet about it. Again, I'm the guy who dives way too deep on, on social media for clues about what's going to happen. And don't take that as a scoop. Just take that as it's a thing I happened to see while I was uh, – while I was putting my kid to bed, because you know you have to rock babies. It is what it is. So, uh, back on the diamond, number nine softball got a sweep of the Kansas Jayhawks, continuing the Longhorns' dominance of the Sunflower State. Eight uh, one and ten one on a doubleheader Saturday, including uh, that ten one five inning uh, run rule number fourteen on the year, Kyle. And then Sunday was actually a battle, a ten to eight battle on the diamond with the Longhorns managed to get away with a win over the Jayhawks. Loved it. There were some, some elite players uh, making elite plays all through this one. Um, I loved We got to get at least one of those a, a weekend of a five inning, but uh, Shannon Rhodes continues just to um, knock the ball around. I think she's now with six games remaining on the season. Um, she is uh, up to fourth all time with 49 RBIs this year. Um, and also, again, they're going to play less games than they would in a typical year. Um, so I don't think any of our home run hitters, even though we got a couple of them, um, will break. Maybe. We'll see. The record, unless they just get really hot here uh, these last six games. But uh, uh, Iacopo is is basically um, has the, the best home run rate per at bats of any player in Texas history right now by like a lot. I think she's at like 6.5 between dingers and uh, the record is, is almost uh, I think nine point something. So, so what they're doing is really good on the offensive side. They're, they're doing a fantastic job. And, and one of the players who I want to point out, she had a hit in every game in this series, uh, but is now eight away. We've mentioned her many times, but Janae Jefferson, eight hits off the all-time record. And also this week it came out, was named a finalist for the USA Today player of the year so just good stuff all over the diamond i uh, uh it's fun they're, they're 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 putting up runs and they are winning uh basically against anyone except ou's monster so uh you know like you said gerald win all the rest of your games hope someone else knocks ou out in the tournament on on a fluke and then uh just just kind of drive past the car wreck and uh, and win the race as somebody who sees what masking is like in Oklahoma, it may not even be a team that takes Oklahoma out of the <laughs> softball tournament. Um, I hope they're all healthy, but a one positive test can ruin a team's run. So number two women's tennis brought home another Big 12 championship. They beat uh, number 48, Kansas, number 23, OU, suck it, and number eight, uh, Baylor, 4 nothing to win the 11th Big 12 championship and the 20th conference championship overall. They got nine from the Southwest Conference. 
my favorite stat about that Baylor win is Baylor is so good this year at women's tennis. I feel bad for them. They are 23 and 0 in games where they don't play UT. And they're now 0 and 4 against UT. And out of those four games, UT has won 21 of 22 sets that finished. And just like today where it was 4-0, they were winning all three of the others. So these could all be 7-0 sweeps. Like UT has just dominated Baylor and so Baylor's number keeps getting larger because they keep having to play UT they beat everyone else but they will not beat UT this team is the real deal um like we, we said they've only lost to number one in a heartbreaker once uh to North Carolina and if both of those teams take care of their business they should uh it's similar to a Gonzaga Baylor men's basketball where we all know who the two best teams in the country are and you hope they meet in the championship so you can really decide it so uh so this this is a, a very legitimate Big 12 championship and tournament championship and a very, very real possibility for a national championship. Uh, Another team that has a very real shot at a national championship, uh, number two men's tennis, came up unfortunately short against the Baylor Bears uh, in the Big 12 championship on Monday. They beat Oklahoma State. Uh, in the semis, and then they dropped it to Baylor. It was, I think, it was a four-zero sweep, unfortunately. Uh, but they're going to host an NCAA regional uh, in May uh, in Austin, and in uh, that'll be fun to watch. Yeah, and UT actually, you know, they they shared the title with uh, Baylor the regular season, so they, they were Big Twelve champions, but didn't win the tournament. Um, but again, Baylor num- UT number two, Baylor number three. Baylor got to host the Big Twelve tournament. UT gets to hope, host the uh, the regional. So we we'll hope the home court advantage comes up there and uh, and uh, gives UT the 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 boost, the kickstart they need to the the uh, ultimate raising of the big trophy. Speaking of a team, another team that has a shot at a national championship, number two rowing, um, just ran up five wins and one runner up. So five of the six boats uh, that they ran, I believe, in that managed to come away with a win. Uh, a field that included two top twenty-five teams, uh, including Notre Dame and OU and Tulsa. Gerald, their, their runner-up was to another UT team. They split in the uh, the the four uh, the four boat heat two. They had an A and B, and they their only runner-up was to themselves to the A team. So they they didn't lose. I think actually this was the second time in two meets where their their uh, second heat team in the eight man uh, or eight woman I should say eight person, eight person boat would yes exactly the eight person boat uh, would have beat number two in heat one. So Texas's second best teams are better than the other competitors. Again, against highly ranked teams, number one. So uh, things looking real good for rowing, like real good. Just like the only way to stop a Tarati is with another Tarati, the only way to stop a Longhorn <laughs> on a boat is with more Longhorns <laughs> on. So moving on to the track, uh, the LSU meet was uh, had a little bit of a wind at their back, but um, – Texas moved up one. The men in the women moved up one rank because of the times they turned in. Um, Tara Davis and, and Makaya Harris ran the fastest all condition times in school history. Uh, Tara put in a twelve six one hundred meter hurdles. I could do a twelve six one two hurdles. Maybe uh, that's the second best time in the nation this year. Um, and Makaya Harris ran the fastest two hundred meter dash of his collegiate career, coming in just above. 20 seconds. I think I could get like a 20 second hundred, maybe, Kyle. Um, it was win aided, so he can't lower his, his record time of 2009, uh, but still still moving pretty quick. I love that there, there is a world in which Tara Davis finished the season with the best collegiate, you know, indoor and outdoor long jump, and also has the best collegiate 100 meter hurdle. Like, just a legitimately freakish athlete. Good, good for her. She's a she's a treat. Absolutely, and continuing to be fast, Cheryl. We will move through this next section uh, rapidly here because you know I can get long winded. But uh, look at the burn orange lenses, Gerald, and, and and this is not where we will cover this. But this is the caveat that in the burn orange world we have coming up the NFL draft. Gerald, you have some thoughts on pre draft coverage. I I absolutely do not like pre-draft coverage, Kyle, because it's just kind of a bunch of people speculating and like 60% of it's wrong and not not knocking any of the incredible people that we've had on the podcast or people that we would love to have on the podcast. But like, I I think it's, I just always find it richer discussion when we're like, okay, this is where the guys landed. How do they fit? And so we're, we're going to lock in an expert for next week to, to do kind of a draft recap rather than a draft preview. All right. Well, how about this? Do you want to? Do you want to at least completely unprepared throw a number off the cuff of how many Longhorns you think will be drafted? Four. 
Okay, I love that. And I will quickly run through for our listeners. That, of course, counts Sam Cosme offensive tackle. Joseph Osai off the edge. Caden Stearns at safety. Sam Ellinger at quarterback. TQ Graham, defensive lineman, uh, as well as potentially Brennan Eagles wide receiver. Chris Brown, safety. Uh, Tarek Black, wide receiver. And I think that's everyone who's effectively in there. I don't obviously think all of those will be, but I'm going to go with you. I'm going to say, I'm going to say four and a half. I'm going to go prices right here and uh, take that half pick. I don't know what that means. Maybe I should say five, but I'm hedging hard. Um, so four and a half for me. All right. And uh, the, the final burn orange, I just didn't know where to put this in the show, but it needed to be said. I wanted to give a shout out. He isn't on any specific team. So he goes in the burn orange lenses, but there was a very good boy this week, Bo. Mackenzie Parker, again, going back to softball team, Mackenzie Parker's uh, dog, Bo, was in the outfield behind the stands. She blasted a home run over to the part of the stands that he was behind. And, of course, the good boy thought she was playing an elaborate game of fetch and picked up her home run ball, which is the single most adorable thing I've ever seen. And I just want to pet Bo because he is a very good boy. All dogs are good dogs, Kyle, but some dogs just prove that they're incredible. Absolutely. My favorite story of the week. Uh, Jared, let's move it on to the Godzilla, Godzillatron quickly. What have you been watching? Uh, Falcon of the Winter Soldier had the uh, had its season finale. I had a good time with it. I absolutely think they – I did not expect them to go star-spangled suit for Sam Wilson, and they did, and it was absolutely incredible. Um, I got mild to moderately, like, uh, giddy watching some of it just because, like, you know, Sam the, Sam Wilson is a great character. I love Anthony Mackie, and I think he's he's worked his tail off to get to where he's at, and so seeing him step into to that role has been great. Uh, and then, like a lot of people, I watched uh, Mortal Kombat on HBO, and it's, it is what you expect from a Mortal Kombat movie. It is um, a lot of fighting and a lot of gore. My... I'm going to say this and people are going to whatever you can tweet at me at GH Goodrich fight me if you want to. But I think we have rose colored glasses on when we remember the old Mortal Kombat movie as we compare the, these ones. I enjoyed this one. I don't I think the two failings of this movie. Uh, I like Let me say it like this. I like this movie. I want to see more of this movie. My two biggest gripes with this movie. One, the opening seven minutes is some of the best martial arts action I've seen in probably three or four years. And so like nothing else for the rest of that, like hour and 45 minutes lived up to the opening seven minutes. Cause the opening mm. seven minutes was so stinking good. It was like two guys that are just really good martial artists going at it for like five minutes. And I had a great time watching it. Um, and it, like I was emotionally invested in some of it. There was like a, you know, it was like a father, son, thing happening it was really really good um then the rest of it was just kind of you know campy um and it this is this is really where my like i hope and i think they can fix this for the next one but it just took itself too seriously you are a mortal combat movie you're a movie in which a guy has a magic hat that's sharp on the edges do not take yourself <laughs> seriously that's my one bit is like be campy be dumb be funny um and the guy that, like that that's that's my gripe that's my actual gripe with it uh there are some guys who take themselves very seriously whose hats are sharp on the edges and of course i'm talking about the peaky blinders um so you can do it seriously but it, yes it is it is quite different but I, i'll say this I hope you enjoyed the Mortal Kombat. Maybe I'll watch it. As someone who's who's was very much of the age that I was deprived from owning or being allowed to play or watch anything Mortal Kombat, it was something my parents were told in a Bible study group that I should be um, kept at arm's reach. You would think that would make me want it more, but I just, for whatever reason, never got into Mortal Kombat as a youth. Um, but so what I, what I will do, Gerald, is pause and go back to you with a quick quiz. Didn't see this one coming. Gerald, what Longhorn? is, to my knowledge, the only Longhorn to win an Oscar in this week's Oscar Awards. He's also the only person to ever win a Naismith in an Oscar. That's Kevin Durant. Ooh, okay, all right. No no stumping you. Um, no, I love it. That's, uh, that's of course, for the, the short film that he was an executive uh, producer for. Um, very, very, very cool. Two Distant Strangers that uh, Kevin Durant gets to be uh, a man whose trophy cabinet fills up in all kinds of ways. I think like being like a, a, a tech startup investor uh, gazillionaire will eventually be a trophy he has in there. The dude just keeps winning. Uh, he actually just gets mad and, and tweets at people to the point where now people are coming back around and loving him for it. Uh, so he, he's going to have a, a uh, best Twitter troll award. He's, he's going to just stack up the closet. Um, but I'll just leave it there. Uh, the, the other show I've been watching is Billions, but I'm almost, I'm close enough that by next week I might be done. So I'll wait and recap it for the, uh, the finale or I guess where they are now. I think there's another season coming, but, uh, but yeah, so that's it for 
Godzilla-tron. That brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? All right. So, um, we talked about how sad it was that the volleyball team did not win the national championship, but there is still one volleyball-related championship out there. Second pop quiz, Gerald. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about when I say that? Is the NCAA Sand Volleyball Championship still a thing? I have no idea. It could be. That's not what I'm talking about. What I wanted you to say or not say is that Netflix is the circle. Could be season one, could be season two. I have no idea. But they recently added former UT volleyball player Cat Bell. And let me tell you, my wife's been watching it. Um, and so I heard it in the background of the other room at some point. Uh, so I had like a, let's call it a 12% understanding of the plot of the show. Um, and then I heard this news. Um, I think they announced it like the day before the national championship game. And I wondered why UT volleyball players were tweeting about a Netflix show. I was like, man, it must really be boring in Omaha, but no, it's because Kat Bell, who is a herself, a professional volleyball player. Uh, I believe the, the Petron blaze spikers of the Philippine super Liga is crushing it. I have watched episodes since she has been on this show again, I'm not your person for circle news strategy and things. It's basically like a, okay, five second. Um, it's like a game show where you're, you're socially distanced in different rooms and your social media is the circle and you have to tweet and, and direct message each other and there's influencers in your block. Sounds dumb, kind of is, but Kat is really, really good at it. A woman who has represented the U.S. national team at the youth and professional level. Um, and and uh, I think she was a multiple time. I think she's, she's a four-time uh, Big 12 champion. Um, so a, a person whose blood runs burnt orange, but whose, uh, whose brain clearly is made for scheming and, uh, and reality show surviving. Because again, in early episodes of early uh, results are to be told. She is very, very good at it and might just win the whole, I think it's $100,000, but whatever it is, the whole dang thing. Kyle, NCAA Beach Volleyball Selection Sunday is this Sunday. So there are Huge. multiple, multiple volleyball championships still out there. So I'm making drum this week. Two quickies. Um, the NCAA changes college overtime rules to something stupid as a response to Texas A&M doing something stupid on the field, which was not being able to close out LSU or LSU getting some bad calls and not being able to close them out. Either way, the NCAA continues to like making they make like one good decision and then like three really small dumb ones and we all don't talk about the the small dumb decisions they make so they're limiting overtime rules or forcing players to or forcing teams to after the first overtime go for two and then it'll be like a two-point conversion battle after that rather than uh or it'll just it's 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 hopefully going to get it done quicker i don't necessarily think it will but that's neither here nor there i'm also banging the drum this week on malik murphy who tweeted out at 11 o'clock on Saturday after attending the Texas Spring Game, uh, Whataburger low-key fire. And um, that's my quarterback, man. A guy who's from heart of In-N-Out country grabbed a honey butter chicken biscuit from Whataburger and has seen the light. That man is made to be in Austin, Texas, and I'm just so glad he is ours. Gerald, we have we have revealed enough of how the sauce is made that folks know we record this on Monday nights late at night, and I I, I should not be craving it as hard as I am, but it, it after nine p.m. the the conversation you just had makes me want to immediately end this podcast, run out and grab one of those said Whataburger meals. You can't talk about it without without salivating about it. Uh, dang you, Gerald. Dang you. But if you're going to do two, I'm going to do two because I think there is one that is very worthy, um, and I think we should talk about. Um, if if you aren't familiar, um, Steve. Mongo McMichael, a former um, UT defensive line great, NFL great with the Chicago Bears, and then went on to a prolific career as a professional wrestler. Just a man who uh, who is successful at all things he he's he's ever done um, is is in the toughest point in battle and opposition that he's ever faced in his life. He's currently battling ALS, and uh, from from what I hear, it is it is declining quickly and it is a very very tough battle that's going on i heard someone say that he now weighs less than he did in high school is unable to raise his arms um it's uh it's a it's it's a debilitating and awful and, and horrendous uh disease when it when it kind of sinks its claws in but uh i have heard also that he he's kept his sense of humor and uh and you know he's still he's still mongo inside of there and and, and you love to hear that but they uh 
There's a teammongo76.com is the, I believe, kind of website where they're giving uh, updates. Uh, and then there's also a GoFundMe, um, which if you go on that site, you can you can search and, and see it there. But uh, to I think that was launched by Steve and his family um, to support where he's doing that. And I believe there's even some, some shirts uh, as well. But uh, either way, however you support, whether it's, you know, thoughts, prayers, donations, uh, or, or just uh, horns up. Um, this week, spend some time, think about... Think about Steve Mongo McMichael, uh, an elite athlete, human performer uh, specimen, uh, and just let that sit in that that we should cherish every day. Because no matter how big and bad you are, there's there's nasty stuff out there that doesn't care and and uh, can take you down. No matter, so hug the ones you love and and uh, and yeah, keep the horns up for Steve. Absolutely, thoughts and prayers, horns up. But on that note, that's all we've got for you this week, Kyle. Where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can catch me uh, on Thursday on Two Wokeners. We're going to talk about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier finale. You can follow the show on social media again, Facebook, Instagram, Longhorn Republic. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. We needed more armbands. Bands.